our Old Testament scripture is the one that I challenged you last week. How did you do on your um, on your soul training exercises last week? Did you have an opportunity to share your one minute testimony with someone? Remember, it's 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 worth it. Even if you have to beg someone, would you mind if I share my testimony with you? I promise it'll be a minute. But what will happen is that you'll get comfortable sharing what God is doing in your life. We want it to be just like second nature. How did, how did you do on your fasting? Are you working in a rhythm of, of leaving behind the things that are distractions? It might be food, but it might be your phones. It might be the TV. It might be some other aspect. There's a beauty, and Jesus just assumed that we'd be doing this. There's a beauty in, in intentionally denying yourself so that you can take up your cross and follow Jesus. But last week, I challenged you especially to consider doing a soaps study on Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. And this morning, I'd like to just remind us of that scripture. We're going to focus on a, a accent scripture, but this morning, I just want to remind you, and I'm hoping and praying that it'll remind you of some of the things you learned. I'm going to actually pick it up a little bit earlier. Um, no, I'll, I'll pick it up. I'll pick it up at verse 4. I'm sorry, we do have the slide for that. I'll pick it up at verse 1 of Deuteronomy um, chapter 6. So right at the very beginning of your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the fifth book of Torah, Deuteronomy, the second, literal second expression of the law, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 6. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, Moses says, so that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, so that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. In other words, you and your children and your grandchildren. By keeping all his statutes and commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Here it is. Here, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, right? The harvest may be great, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. So hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Press pause for just a second. I've so enjoyed in our study, um, our our movie and, and scripture night, uh, uh, being able to watch the chosen, you notice that when they rise, they have that moment of prayer. Did you hear Jesus? Some of you will hear him this week when he was when he was lying down. In, it is a movie in the movie, but he, as he laid down, his last words were speaking to his his heavenly Father. That's what that's what Moses is talking about. When whatever you do, when you walk, when you rise, when you lie down, um, just. Focus on the words that God had given Moses. You shall bind them, he says in verse 8, 
as a sign on your hand. Sometime we'll explore that together. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, like on the forefront of your mind. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. The very word of God. Now, you've already heard our New Testament scripture, but you heard it um, from the message. I'd like you to hear it from the ESV. So turn with me, would you, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. uh, And we're going to just read verses 1 and 2. So now we're in the New Testament. We have the Gospels and we have Acts and then Romans. The book of Romans and Romans chapter 12 is where we are today. While you're turning there or pulling it up on your phones, I, I just want to always remind you that we, we dip into a scripture like this, but there's 11 chapters in front of it, right? And and so Paul, when he says, therefore, in this verse, we'll read in just a moment, when he says, therefore, he's speaking about because of all these things that we've already said because of Romans 1 through 11. And a lot of us, when we think about those chapters, we're thinking about judgment, but that is not the the uh, impact of Romans 1 through 11. The impact of Romans 1 through 11 is mercy. Is mercy. The amazing mercy of God who does not give us what we deserve, but through faith in Jesus Christ, frees us from our sin, frees us from that bondage and forgives us. So Paul says now, this major moment in the book of Romans, Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God that we've talked about for the last 11 chapters, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Isn't that interesting? It's not a time or a place. It is the act of presenting yourself to God as holy and acceptable to him. Unless we misunderstand, he gets very pointed. Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The very word of God. Mm. Thank you, God. Would you take the words of my mouth and the meditations, God, of all of our hearts. May they be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, wow, last week we heard together um, the secret of eternal life. If you're just visiting with us today, either here or on online, do you remember, those of you who are here, the, the lawyer said, what must I do to inherit eternal life, right? And, and Jesus asked him, well, what does the word say? And he quoted our Deuteronomy 6 passage, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and, and love your neighbor, he said, as yourself. And, and I don't know if he was expecting brownie points, but, but what Jesus did was then say, do this and you will live. I'm accenting those words carefully because even though he was at the highest echelons of the religious community of his day, Jesus is basically saying, you're not there yet. You're very close, but you're not there yet. Do this. And you will live. How do we do that? 
I mean, honestly, how do we love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, right? And and all of our souls, all of our minds, all of our strengths. How do we do that when when our hearts are stained and hardened and broken? Am I making that up, right? Can we really trust our hearts, which the Bible understands ultimately to be the center of our will, not not this this organ that pumps blood, but but the Bible understands the heart to be that place where where decisions are made, where where our will is revealed. Can we trust our hearts? As God spoke through Jeremiah the prophet, what twenty six hundred years ago now. 600 years before the time of Christ, the heart, he said in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. We have new insight into what desperately sick means. Who can understand it? Who can understand it, right? Let me ask you today, is it possible that our hearts can be changed? Now, I know the answer here. Um, but I think I'm asking my heart, right? I'm asking my heart here. I know the answer here because in that same book and in Jeremiah 31, God promised, he in prophecy foretold that there would come a time when he would give us a new heart, right? When, when he would take our heart of stone and remove it and give us a heart of flesh again. When he would write his very word on our heart. So God promised 600 years before the time of Christ that he would give us a new heart. And now in the context of this scripture, 600 years later, Jesus has come. Jesus has offered his own life in our place and he has made possible that new heart. And I, I so, I remember, I pray that you remember when that first became real. So many times when we're talking together, we ask ourselves, do you remember the time when God became real to you, right? When he became real. Because, because a lot of us grew up in church or something and didn't really know a time when we weren't. But, but, but we just kind of did that because that's what everybody did. And we loved being a part of a spiritual family. And, and, and there were all kinds of benefits from that. But for many of us, the, the personal aspect of our relationship with God didn't come till later. And still others of us, the, the fact that he is Lord, wants to have a, a lordship over every aspect of our life, that didn't happen till later as well. So, so it's, a, it's a legitimate question. We, we come to that point where we say, God, for the first time in my life, I recognize that, that you're giving me a new beginning. You are giving me a new heart. Thank you. Thank you, God. But what happened next, right? What happened next? Did you just just live into that new heart? Did you did you um, never sin again? Um, no, no. Um, God gave us a new heart, and then invited us to partner with Him in letting that new heart transform every aspect of our minds, our hearts. Our wills, our emotions, right? Every aspect of our soul. So really, um, the question here for us is, is how can we 
be changed. Can God give us a vision for transformation? I'm not, I'm not just talking about that coming to faith. That's critical. That's critical. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. It's critical. But then to walk with Him, to be led by His Holy Spirit until every aspect of our life is given over to Him. The theological term for that is sanctification, to be made holy, right? How, how do we do that? How do we partner with God? I just want to say for a second, this is so urgent. I'm speaking without thinking about it ahead of time, but I think that that's the problem that we're in right now, right? In a real sense, we, we live in a world that, that is, has wandered far from God's design for it. And, 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 and you get overwhelmed when you think about the world, but then you, you think about our nation, right? And, and, and you think, oh my goodness, what's happening? What is happening, right? And, and I know part of it's just the divine disillusionment that I, I, I had an illusion that our nation was more godly than it ever was, right? And God is just gently disillusioning me from that, right? But even, even still, in, in my brief uh, tenure on this earth, um, it's just been astounding to see the decisions that are made. But we don't even have to go to the nation, do we? Have you, do you follow like Evansville Live or whatever that, is? I mean, it's a little depressing, right? It's a little depressing what's happening right here in our city. But we don't even have to go to our city, do we? We, we, we look at our families and we, and we see the pain and the brokenness and we see the, the things that are happening within even our, our own nuclear families. And then, and then we realize we don't have to go to even to our families, do we? Because this line between good and evil, this line between wholeness and brokenness is drawn right down the heart of every human being. This is important. The transformation of our hearts is important. It's important. So, so the good news is that, is that we can flip this, right? Because in a real sense... Our hearts are the starting point. Our, our transformation can be the beginning of transformed families. Yes? Right? Dream with me. I know it's a dream. Dream with me, right? Yes. Our transformation can lead to our family's transformation. And our family's transformation can lead to our community's transformation. And our community's, Evansville's transformation, can lead to our nation's transformation and ultimately to a transformed world. Okay? So do that by next week, would you? That's your, that's your soul training exercise, huh? Oh my goodness. No, it's a, it's a discipleship process. It's a lifelong process. And there are amazing moments. I was enjoying one in our worship time earlier. There are amazing moments along that journey, but it's a lifelong journey. So this fall, we've been trying to capture God's heart, to catch a vision, right? Specifically, uh, this fall, a vision for the harvest, right? We've searched the scriptures together, searching for his vision for people, a harvest of souls, as it were. We asked him to show us his glory, to give us a vision of his glory, right? How we might become like him. And to a certain extent, we've, we've glimpsed some of those things. But if you're 
like me, that the excitement of seeing ourselves as God sees us has always been tempered by seeing myself as I really am. Well, let me put that differently, as I currently am. With all the potential of a newborn, of a, of a, a new disciple, but with all the trappings of a fallen human being. So this morning, I want to go once again with you to God's word to capture a vision for change. Change for the world, yes. Change for our nation, yes. For our cities and for our families. But first and foremost, change for ourselves. The word the Bible uses is transformation, right? This morning, I'd like to ask God for his vision for our transformation. So do that again with me, would you? I'll thank you for meeting us in these last weeks, God. In, in our times of corporate worship, both in person here and online, but also as, as we begin to make forays into soul training exercises, uh, God, you have just met us in powerful ways. Um, God, do it again, would you? Meet us here in these brief moments and grant that we could see what you see, God, that we could see what we can be in Jesus, grant us a vision that, God, we could, we could see this transformation to which you're inviting us. And we'll give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, where does transformation begin, right? It's interesting that, that when Jesus began his ministry of transformation, he didn't start with nations or powerful systems, right? He started with tra- uh, the transformation of one single heart, right? The heart of the person that he was talking to. I've loved that individual encounters has been portrayed in, in our movie nights and, and, and how Jesus was fully present for each and every person. Even, even as some of you will see this week, even to the point of exhaustion, he made himself available to every single person. Transformation begins with the heart of one. It begins with the heart of one. So I just want to ask you, will you be that one? Will you be that one? Note that it, it doesn't begin with the words of one, right? Though Jesus did say it another time in Luke 6, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But it doesn't begin with the words. It doesn't even begin with the actions of one, though some of us try and talk our way into a, into a new discipleship. Some of us try and act our way. Uh, those are important things. Our words and our actions are critical, right? But it doesn't begin there. Um, Transformation begins with our heart, the seat of the will, which is counseled by both our emotions or, as the Bible uses, our guts. Remember, I feel in my guts. Um, guts in the Bible are the center of our emotions, but also our minds, our minds. You are or probably know someone whose will is dominated by their mind. I'm watching for elbows here in the congregation, right? You probably know somebody whose will is dominated or even controlled by their emotions. Any more elbows out there? Right? Yeah? Most of us probably know both. 
and also know that they're married to each other, right? I can't explain it, but that's what happens. That's what happens, right? They're married to each other. What I love about Jesus, what I love about him is that his will was perfectly counseled by both. Do not ever lose sight of the fact that Jesus not only had a mind totally surrendered to, to his heavenly father, but he also had his emotions. And and he, he like us, is created in God's image, right? So he, he is God. He When he expresses emotions, then it tells us that God has emotions too, that God gets angry, that God grieves, that God has inexpressible joy, right? God feels all those things just in a perfect way, not in a broken way like us. What I love about Jesus was that he had both those things, his mind and his emotions, in perfect balance, and that he invited us to be like him, to be his disciple, to be his follower, a a lifelong learner, one who was like him, right? He invited us to be like him. So let's remind us of a couple truths. You filled in the blanks already probably. When you trust in Christ, he gives you a new heart. For the first time uh, ever in your life, when you trust in Christ, you have the opportunity to begin again. But like Here's what we forget, I think. Like a child's physical heart, that heart is constantly growing or changing, right? Or being transformed. That heart is still growing. As parents, as you saw in Deuteronomy 6, we're charged with not only guarding the hearts of our children, but also growing the hearts of our children, right? As parents, we're we're charged to guard our own hearts and to grow our own hearts. So when you trust in Christ, he gives you a new heart. But when you choose to walk with Christ, he transforms your growing heart into his own. And that's a work that only Jesus can do. That's what Paul would say so many times. Walk in the Spirit, right? Let God grow your heart. Let God transform your heart. But I want to press us today on a second question here. How can we partner with God in his work of transformation, right? Again, this isn't an isolated thing where we just sit there uh, on the table, on that cold stainless steel table. I had a flashback there, I'm sorry. We don't sit there and let something happen to us, right? This is something that we partner with him in. How can we do that? Paul just gives us amazing insight here in his word on how we can do that. He says, I want you to present your bodies daily as a living sacrifice. Now, it's not as meaningful to us because we're not in a sacrificial system. Uh, but, But sin was forgiven in Jesus' day by the sacrifice of another animal, right? But we know, and he knew, that, that he came to once for all be the sacrifice that, that brought forgiveness, that, that brought propitiation, assuaged the, the wrath of God. He, once for all, was the sacrifice. So our invitation is not to have, go out in some blaze of glory. Our invitation to us is to daily present ourselves 
as a walking, breathing, joyful, loving sacrifice of God. Let me just switch the words because it's so easier for me to understand if I just switch the words to sacrificially live. Does that make sense? To be a living sacrifice that sacrificially lives. In other words, denies ourselves so that the glory of God might be revealed. And, and I don't want you to miss this. There's a whole bunch of other things going on in this passage right here. But the word that he uses for present means, means to um, place alongside. Earlier, he used a very similar word to, to walk alongside. He says, I beg you. In other words, I'm walking beside you, begging you by the mercies of God to do this, right? And now in kind of a play on Greek words, he says, I want you to place yourself alongside, right? Uh, Place yourself alongside God as a living sacrifice. Now, what does it look like? Holy, he says. Now, again, holy is a a word that's that's loaded in English language and, and, and most of us feel um, removed from it, but he's asking us to do this, to present ourselves a living sacrifice, holy, in other words, set apart. Set apart from what? i got to breathe again, Kathy. Tell me breathe every once in a while. Set apart from the world, right? When, when people look at your life, is it distinguishable from any other life that, that they encounter? Um, the unfortunate news of the last couple of years is in survey after survey after survey, there's no distinguishable difference between those who proclaim themselves to be followers of Jesus and those who don't, right? For the longest time, we, we did this little game where we just were a little better than the world around us, right? And so as long as I didn't do those those three or four sins that are currently out of bounds, then then I'm I'm okay. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about being set apart from the world. Will will that mean that you'll be rejected by the world? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Will that mean that you will be salt and light to the world? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I asked the Lord a couple years ago. um, I just wanted to be more involved in the world. I love being with you. But, um, But I spent most of my time with believers, right? And so I asked him, and our session gave me um, a couple of hours a week just to immerse myself in um, uh, non-believers. Woo! <laughs> um, uh, um, I, I love it. I love it. I've had some unusual conversations, um, but I love it because it's real. Most of the world out there, again, we say that, well, 70% of people consider themselves followers of Jesus in Evansville, right? No. They might consider themselves to be followers of Jesus, but they're indistinguishable from the world. The bad news is that means there's probably only about 10% of the people that we encounter in our community who are genuine followers of Jesus. Now, I'm not doing this to say it's, we're trying to judge who's a follower who's not. I'm just trying to say there's 90% of the world out there that's going to recognize if you live a life set apart for God. There's 90% of the people around you that are going to notice that they might ridicule you, but you know what? When push comes to shove and they're in one of those three times a year that they have major traumas in their life, who are they going to go to, right? Who are they going to say? Even if they deny the fact that God exists when they're ready to pray, who are they going to go to? They're going to go to someone who's identifiably been in the presence of Jesus. 
set apart from the world, but, but set apart because of their relationship and their intimacy with God. So he says, I, I beg you, place your life alongside God and present yourself set apart from the world. We'll try in the remaining weeks of our of our um, our study on the harvest here to to point out little tricks that you can use to see where where your life. I pointed out one last week was when my phone dings in the worship service and says you spent five hours a day on your phone, right? You spent so we'll we'll try and give us little insights to say to help break that false illusion that that somehow we're completely surrendered to Him. But here again, the impact of the Apostle Paul's words: I beg you. Present yourself holy, set apart from the world. The flip side of that is what what is set apart from the world and might even be anathema to the world is pleasing and acceptable to God, right? Pleasing and acceptable to God. Present yourself holy and pleasing and acceptable to God. But then he continues, let God change you. We don't have time today, but the temptation is to try and change yourself. How did that go for you? Right? Yeah, not so good for me either. Um, let God change you. Don't be conformed to this world, he says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. And I'm going to say the will of God and the heart of God are the same thing. That you may be able to capture the heart of God, right? What is good and acceptable and, and far beyond that, what is perfect? Romans 12, 2. How, how do we partner with God? And don't be conformed to the world. I, I love the way that, that, um, that the Message Bible puts it. Um, don't be so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it, right? That you fit into it. The literal word is that is that um, that external pressure that molds something into something that they're not, right? External pressure. Just as an aside, I know that in Romans eight, Paul says we're we're predestined to be conformed to the image of God. But that's kind of a bad translation of the word. It's really a word much more akin to transformed in Romans eight. So when you see conformed, it's usually a negative thing. It means that something from the outside is pressuring you and shaping you and molding you into something that God did not create. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't be shaped by external pressure. What's the, what's the alternative? Instead, be transformed, right? Be transformed. And, and it's not like uh, kids in the room which I forgot to release earlier. Sorry, I apologize for that. Um, kids in the room, you might love Transformers, right? You take something. I've seen some amazing Halloween costumes of kids. Have you seen those? Uh, kids transforming. They're, they're in one costume. They drop to the ground, and all of a sudden they're a truck, right? But, but I want to suggest to you that they're just reconfiguring the same thing, right? And I spent a lifetime doing that, reconfiguring the same thing. Changing appearance or even shape, right? Um, even shape, but but not being transformed. The literal word, and you, most of you know this already, is that word metamorphosed, right? Meta change, 
uh, morph the form literally to to change in molecular structure. The two examples that come immediately to my mind, um, I, I um, spent four years in engineering geology, and, and a metamorphosed rock would be uh, igneous or a sedimentary rock that underwent so much heat and pressure that it literally changed the metamorphic structure, excuse me, the, the molecular structure of the rock. It was a different rock, and it's discernible immediately. It's discernible. I mean, the structure of the molecules is different in a metamorphosed rock. The most familiar example, and uh, uh, I'm getting a little nauseous just thinking about it, is uh, is that of a, a, a caterpillar and a, a butterfly, right? Um, uh, if you are not near a meal, look that up online about what actually happens in that chrysalis, Right? Um, it is gruesome, but it is a complete transformation. And it's and I marvel at the design of God that could take something. Remember, I think it was David said, I'm a worm and not a man, right? Uh, that could take a worm and make it into something totally other. It's a complete change. Uh, it, it in that in that chrysalis, the the the, um, the worm goes down to its very elementary substance, right? And then and then because of of of, of some restricting hormones that have been working, they stop working and they allow it now to to be reconfigured according to a different DNA. It's just astounding. And then, depending on the moth or the butterfly, within a couple of months, something completely new emerges. And I think it's such a parable of life, right? Because, because we go through this gruesome period when everything about us is changing. But there's hope, right? Something beautiful, something new, something completely different is going to be the result. Be transformed. Be metamorphosed. The Apostle Paul says, worship team, come on up if you would. So, so how do we partner with God in that, right? How do we partner with him? Um, he's, Paul gives us the insight right here. He says, by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. Do you remember that story I told you so long ago when I was a bachelor? And um, I don't know why I say bachelor because I do the same thing today. But I had a pot of coffee and I um, was going on a backpack trip and I left it out. I forgot and left it out. It was about a 10-day trip. And I came back and the pot of coffee... Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. Woo. Um, <laughs> I should, I've got several new examples of, of gruesome things that happen when you don't take care of what you should before you leave. But but in this case, I'll, I'll use something socially acceptable. In this case, um, it was gruesome. It had the, yeah, gross stuff floating on there. And so I didn't, I didn't know what to do with it. I was, I was in my apartment alone. I put, I put it in the sink and I turned the water on and then right then the phone rang and I forgot that the water was on or whatever and and I um, I went and talked on the phone and then psyched up to go back and, and wash this pot, right? I got back to the pot and the pot was completely clean. It was beautiful. And, and I think if I had known that, I'd stopped doing dishes a long time ago, right? <laughs> what happened? Well, over time... Over time, because the constant influx of that which was pure, that that literally living water, running water, right, flowing through that pot, it it was 
probably five or ten minutes, but but it completely made clean and holy that pot. And I was I was astounded at that. And so how do we how do we do that? We renew our minds by pouring into our minds that which is beautiful, right? How did he put it in Philippians? Whatever's true, whatever is noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable, as anything is excellent or praiseworthy. Philippians four, seven and eight, right? Think on these things, right? Let those things wash like, like the stream of water through your mind, right? Focus on those things and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. What's, what's being poured into your mind? I know I'm a hypocrite because all my younger life I thought, I can handle this. Yeah, put me in front of a gruesome, um, movie, right? Uh, a horror movie. I, my, my, a movie, right? Um, yeah, I can handle all those words that they're saying on that, right? I'm not affected by it. Mm, my great prayer is when my mind goes, which don't say what you're about to say, when my mind goes, um, what will be coming out of this thing, right? What will be coming out of my mouth? Um, you have this opportunity to pour what is pure in. Um, begin with the renewing of your minds. We'll, he'll help us. He'll help transform our emotions because we got to work both sides of this equation, right? Because our emotions sometimes are guiding our decisions. Well, he'll help us do that. But Paul, a mind-centered guy, started with this um, by the renewing of your mind. Why? Let me say why real quick. So that you can discern the heart of God. So that you can capture the heart of God. So you don't have to walk around aimlessly wondering what God's purpose is for your life so that you can know his will. And, and Paul puts it there by testing. As you, as you live into this, you can test and approve what God's will is. And then he spells it out, right? What is good? So much around us, God, is, is not good. Help us discern what is good. What is, what is pleasing or acceptable? So much around us here. God, literally, you hate. And we're, we're dabbling in it. We're playing in it. We're immersing ourselves in it. God, show us what is good and pleasing and acceptable. No, God, you are perfect. Show us what is perfect. God, I know as we live into this life, this new heart, this transformation, God, I know that our families, I know that our city, I know that our nation, I know that our world will be blessed. What do you need today? Do you need mercy? Freely given. There is no judgment or condemnation. God's desire is not that you would feel bad about yourself. God's desire is that you would just place yourself alongside of Him and allow yourself to be transformed. Do you need compassion this morning? got great news for you. Great news for you. God left his throne above, right? And and entered your world, right? And 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 entered your suffering so you might know that you're not alone. As we close our service
I just invite you. What do you need from him? You know what I need from God? I need a good swift kick in the tush, right? Um, um, because I've gotten really complacent about what is holy. I've gotten really complacent about what is perfect and good. And I don't want the aftertaste of my life to be that other stuff. I want it to be Jesus and his compassion alone. So I ask you again, what do you need from God this morning? Cry out to him.